This podcast is recorded, mixed and mastered at Smith & Western Studios in Sydney. If you want to improve the quality of your podcast or start a new podcast of your own, go to smithandwestern.com.au and get your first episode produced for free. You're listening to Love, Stephen. Stephen Russell joined the Black Watch 3rd Battalion Royal Regiment of Scotland and joined the Second World War in 1939 as part of the British Expeditionary Forces, aged just 23. Over six years, he wrote hundreds of letters home to his parents and love interest, Elsa, chronicling life at war. The letters tell the story of a blossoming love affair which survived against the odds. Stephen and Elsa were my grandparents, and these are his letters. Episode 2. Life, leave, and back to war. January the 21st, 1940. My darling Elsa... I can't tell you how happy I am now, darling. Your sweet letter arrived this evening, and I read the words, I think my family may be able to spare me for a few days, darling. I don't know what to say, except that I've written to my mother telling her to write to yours. I haven't up till now dared think that there could have been any way other than my coming up to see you. I don't know why, but somehow I thought you wouldn't be able to, the hospital or something. Darling, I'm crazy now. I shan't sleep waiting for the 28th. Oh, it's just too marvellous. Let's go to London one day. Oh, it will be fun. And we'll have a party at home with music, lots to drink, dancing, and we'll dash about in the car. I've so much to tell you too, so much to ask you. We've so much to do. Fearful haste, time's so short. I'll meet you at the station, dash you back home and introduce you to the family. You haven't met them, have you? Oh, darling, it will be so heavenly to see you again, talk to you, be with you for just a little while. You won't be shy, will you? Mother is so sweet, much more like my sister than a mother, and Toots and Rafino and Wee Tinpo. Toots is my father, called Toots because, oh, I don't know why, he just is. Rafino, you know, and Wee Tinpo, alias Crocus, is Mummy's Pekingese, a disagreeable little brute who loathes his Uncle Stephen. Then there's T, an old parlour-maid much above herself, but so lazy and takes a great deal of interest in my lady friends, so she'll love you and do anything you ask or want. Bone idle, but very capable when she likes, and will look after you. Oh, darling, I must be boring you. I'm so sorry. I'm crazy, and you saying you'll be able to come down is why. Where shall we go to in London? Anywhere you like. We'll go and dance, see a show first, heavenly dinner, darling Glen Eagles again. Darling, I'm so sorry you haven't been feeling too fit. It is a shame. You must look after yourself. You simply must be well when you come down, or you won't be able to enjoy yourself. Darling, I must stop. I'm feeling so mad with excitement and I'm writing such rot. I'll try and write again before I leave. If I write on Wednesday, you should get it in time, but I shall ring you up to see that you're really coming when I reach home. Bless you, my darling. With all my love, forever, Stephen. Tenth of February, 1940. My darling mother, the journey back wasn't too bad, and I arrived here in time for dinner, or rather what they called dinner. Why the journey preceding leave has to be so slow and badly organised I fail to see, as they show they can get one back here quick enough. However, why grumble? It's hard to be back, and I feel slightly lost. I expect the months will roll by somehow. I'm sitting writing this, listening to the wireless, which is going exceptionally well, and I can see will be an absolute boon. I hated saying goodbye. It was worse than usual, somehow. 
I had hoped to get back to the hotel and have breakfast with you. Never mind, though, as I did so enjoy my leave. It was truly wonderful. We did get through a lot, didn't we? London, the dance, Sherry that evening. Lovely. And I shall never forget it all. Oh, hell, what I would give to be back to it all. It really was a bit too short, though, and I hardly realise that I've been away at all. The thought of waiting like this for six months fills me with gloom. Perhaps something will happen now. I hope so. Mum, darling, I do hope you're feeling all right and not back in bed again with that foul <coughs> flu. I was so sorry for you. It was miserable. And I know how rotten you were feeling the day we drove over. So brave. I wish I was half as brave. Is Rufino terribly sad at my going? There is no news from here yet, so it won't be a very long letter, but everything is okay. I'm going well, and, of course, we are still in the same spot. It's much colder here, still freezing, so my new British warmer will be more than useful and necessary. The transport is all okay, too, but I'm rather fed up with it. I'm going to start an MT course on Monday for my NCOs to keep myself and them busy. Private White was waiting faithfully in my room when I arrived, smoking my cigarettes, of course, but it's rather cute of him to know I was coming, as I never told. Everybody was very nice and welcoming on my return, and bar a few remarks about my moustache, I'm beginning to like them a bit better, although they are not a patch on my old B Company mess. I wonder what you are doing now. I wish I was with you, but still, there it is, and I suppose there's a war on. Well, I must stop now, as I've got several letters to write. I think one to Hester would be diplomatic, besides which I want to write to her. And then there's one to Aunt C and Ganmum, I suppose. So I'll close by saying once again a thousand thanks for the most heavenly leave and everything. I did love it so, and will never forget it all. I feel perhaps I didn't say enough regarding it all and how I enjoyed it, and I appreciated all you both did at the same time, but believe me, I could not have had a more wonderful time, and you are both so good to me. Mum, darling, you are wonderful, you know. God bless, Mum, darling. Stephen. 27th of March, 1940. My darling mother, many thanks for your last and lovely letter. It made me so happy, and you said all the things I hoped you would say. You mustn't worry about me and my fits of apparent depression. They're really nothing and pass within days, which somehow seemed to slip by. I'm not really depressed, and it's no real hardship being out here, but one misses the small things that mean so much, and it helps to write and say so. It is uncomfortable, yes, but I've never minded that, and one can dismiss the discomfort by saying it won't last forever, and when it does all finish, one will appreciate the comforts that one has been brought up to and lived with all the more. Somehow I miss terribly the social life I used to have, and which of course is non-existent out here. And as you well know, I was never one to exactly relish a mess life, which is all there is. But it certainly pales after a time, however. Tant pis. The day's work finished, there is nothing to do except sit in the mess or go back to one's rather cold and dismal billet to either read or write or make out some other new scheme for improvement in one's job. It's all slightly depressing and to write about it somehow relieves it all, so don't pity or worry about me too much. You say you don't believe the Germans will manage another winter. I don't know why you think this. I'm afraid I don't consider our sea blockade is quite as effective as it appears, 
and the trouble being that at this time so many land routes are not controlled by us through which requirements can filtrate. However, it remains to be seen. I think the Germans are quite happy as yet anyway, and I'm a believer in the assumption that they will never be beaten until they have a severe thrashing in the field and are made to realize that Hitler, his army, and all he stands for isn't quite as good as is thought at the moment. If time was such an important factor, why hasn't he attempted an early and rapid victory with everything he has or had at the beginning? Every day makes ourselves stronger. And if you're correct in your assumption that they are short of raw materials, essentials, etc., waiting can do him little good. I see only one reason, and that's an unlikely one for his delay, is that he never expected we would combine with France in the beginning against him over Poland. And he isn't ready yet for world war and is still preparing, although Germany is not yet united for the plunge into world suicide. Anyway, it makes little difference and I cannot see the end before a start. But let's talk about more pleasant things. I love hearing your opinions, pros and cons, etc., about Agnes and Elsa, and I quite agree with all you say. I agree that certainly the pounds, shillings and pence are an all-important factor, although I don't know I agree with it being quite the most. In fact, I definitely don't. However, there is a great deal in what you say, and I shall await your letters from Devonshire with great impatience and interest to see what a closer and away-from-the-family inspection will disclose. I don't believe she would be delicate away from atmosphere of pills, closed windows, and no exercise, and of course she hasn't really had a fair chance to turn over a new lease of life after her illness, what with the flu, etc. However, you must observe how she pecks up with you in Devon. Of course, she doesn't play any games at all, which is a pity, but perhaps she could be taken in hand. After all, tennis is the only game I should ever want her to play. Anyway, it's no use contemplating anything until the war finishes, which will probably be years, and I suppose I've only just met her. She has a lovely nature, though, and is so unspoiled and appreciative of everything that I can imagine nobody more perfect to be married to. Intelligent as well, which is central, I think you'll agree, as you always say my girlfriends are such fools. Ha! <laughs> anyway, it's nice, as you say, just contemplating and imagining what it would be like with people one knows, and it's all I can do out here anyway. You ask about Elsa. No, I haven't had a row with her, and I go on writing to her as I used to. I like her very much, as she likes the same things I do, except bridge. She's a very good tennis player, dancer, etc., but I don't think somehow I shall ask her to marry me, but it remains to be seen when I see her again. Heavens, anyone would think this is King Solomon summing up his harem. You'd better burn this and not include it in the file. How did Uncle Theo, Victor, etc. get on at Newick Lodge? Do write and tell me how David and Claire progress, and what is to be arranged about their budget. What a powerful thing money is, yet really too much of it seldom brings happiness. Pat has left and gone to Brigade, where he's taken over as Brigade Intelligence Officer, and should do it very well, but it's a great pity, as though comparatively close I shall seldom see him. It's really rather bloody, and there is nobody else I really care two dams about. Funny, really, isn't it? I'm writing this in bed, as it is perishing cold, and it's the only place where I can keep warm, so forgive this bad writing. 
Never mind about the gum boots. I've got an ordinary pair which are watertight and are quite good enough, but they make one's feet very cold, and one can't walk far in them, I find, but never mind. I'll do with them if the others are impossible to get. I'm sorry to be such a trouble. My kit bag is invaluable with my many moves and is all they guaranteed it to be, watertight, very strong, etc. It is quite excellent. I am greatly indebted to you. Well, Mum, darling, I really must stop now. Do write again soon and tell me all the news. Do hope you will enjoy your few days in London. God bless you. My fondest love, Stephen. March the 30th, 1940. My darling mother, this is just a few hurried words to tell you we have moved once more and have arrived in the next place quite safely. So far as I can see and have seen of the billets, etc., it is no better, if as good as the last place, and has been left in a truly filthy state by the French soldiers who were here before us. It is inconceivable that human beings could have lived in such filth. They think nothing of sleeping and relieving nature in the same barn as they have to sleep in, and not only peeing at that, no sanitary arrangements at all, and don't even bother to go out in the garden, filthy buggers. Sorry, but they're little better than animals. We have been in some dirty places, but never have I seen such pigsties as they left behind, and we've been sanitary collectors since we arrived, making the place possible. The billets, when cleaned, weren't really so bad, but it's also unnecessary and extra work. Apparently, the officers were a little better, and Madame, quite young, where we have Battalion HQ mess, told us their colonel, a man of over 40, had fallen downstairs headlong twice, so drunk, and tried to make advances towards her in the shape of putting, or perhaps I should say attempting to put his hand up her skirt, more than a few times. This she apparently objected to, and was antagonistic to our using her house for a mess. The weather is very cold again, and snowed quite heavily the other day. The March winds out here come racing across the pancake flat country, and one feels quite unsuitably clad, however many coats and cardigans one wears. I have quite a clean billet here, in a doctor's house, a dear old man who grumbles all day, but approves of me, I think. Goodness knows why. Alas, however, we are miles from any big town, so when I shall next get a bath, I don't know. Back to the bath barrel situation, except that the water is hot in this village, but of course there is no main. Drops, if one is lucky, come out of the village pump after several minutes of hand pumping. Le cabinet situation, of course, is appalling, but I'm getting used to sitting on a pole like a parrot now. Well, Mum, darling, you will be off to Devon soon. You will write and give me your address, won't you, and give me all the news. I won't write any more now, as I am hoping to hear from you soon, and I will write then. But as usual, after a move, the post is all to hell again, and there has been no mail for two days. I don't think we shall be here long, as we're off to our last Christmas position soon, I understand. I think we shall be the first battalion to go into the area for the second time. Needless to say, the guards have not been. Tell Toots they have never moved their original position and are in the best billeting area in northern France. How do they do it? Well, we'll finish now. God bless. With my love, Stephen. June the 1st. 1940. My darling mother, just a very short line to let you know that I am in all good health and very exceptionally fit now. Actually, I haven't lived in a house or a covered four-walled building for over six weeks, so that this probably accounts for good health 
and so long as it doesn't rain, it is very pleasant. Everything is rather terrible, and one must forget one is a civilized human being for the moment. Streams of evacuees makes one's heart ache. Old men and women with fear in their eyes on the long road back to safety. They never cease coming. It is all very awful, but makes one even more ambitious to have no mercy on any German who is unlucky enough to meet us. I have seen such awful sights that I cannot describe and wish to forget, but this battalion has done wonderfully and was presented yesterday with the Croix de Guerre by the French. Long may it last, and we have accounted for many hundreds of the swine, but still they come in thousands, regardless of the slaughter and in numbers that make it inevitable for at least some to get through. I wonder if David and Claire will get married on the 8th. It all seems so incredible that there's any peace anywhere. Such fire and fury reigns here. Please give my fondest love to Agnes and tell her I don't know when I shall be able to write, but I hope very soon. The possibilities for writing a few these days. I only wish it could all end, as we've all had enough now. The underestimation of the German power and strength in the field is a thing that I hope will rouse those bloody fools who sit in comfortable homes at the head and give out ceaseless orders and hope that they will be paid out for their folly and stupidity. However, it will now have to be 1914 over again, so God knows when I shall see you all again. If this letter ever gets to you, I am very well, very tired, but full of good cheer and thinking of you all so much. God bless. With my best love, Stephen. Post Office Telegram To Brigadier Russell, Ketches, Sussex Information has been received that your son, Lieutenant Stephen Russell of the Black Watch, previously reported missing, is now a prisoner of war. From Under Secretary of State for War. You've been listening to Love Stephen, created by Ben, Lucy, and Chris Smith, and performed by Rupert Degas. It was recorded, mixed, and mastered by Dan Hickson and Nick West at Smith & Weston Studios in Sydney. Copyright Ben Smith, 2019. To help fund the production for the rest of the season, please back the project at gofundsme.com forward slash lovestephenpodcast.